Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. For the rest of us, um, you can turn to Mark chapter 14 this morning if you'd like to follow along in scripture, if you'd like to follow along with where we're going to be today as we continue our series, Jesus in 3D. Um, We're going to be looking at an event in Jesus's life that is sandwiched in between two of the most famous events in the life of Jesus. If I was to ask you to name some miracles of the life of Jesus, you would probably guess these two pretty quickly. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do that. Name some miracles of Jesus's life. Now, if you've turned to Mark 14, you might have an advantage because you'll be able to see what's there, or the video might have given you a hint. But what are some some famous miracles of Jesus? Fed 5,000. What else? What, Logan? Sorry? Oh, she took his. Yeah, the the feeding of the five, that one we saw in the video. Something else famous that Jesus did. Sorry? Water into wine. What else? Lazarus back from the dead. That's a good one. Walked on water. There we go. Um, I want to stop there because that's the one we're going to go to. It only took us like four or five of them to get to both of these miracles. In Mark chapter 14, two of the most famous miracles in the life of Jesus take place. He feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. We're not going to look at either one of those today. We're going to look at, at this moment that's sandwiched in between them. That, that has something really significant to show us. Now, the moment itself doesn't come across as all that significant. In fact, in your Bibles, Mark chapter 14 is probably broken up into a couple of sections. It begins with, with, with Jesus doing some teaching. And, and then you see that there will be probably be a heading that says Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then a little further down, there will be another heading that says Jesus walks on water. But there's something that happens that's kind of a thread in between here. There's something that happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, right before he goes to walk on water. And we we find that in Luke or Matthew chapter 14, and it's what we're going to look at this morning today. And so our story today begins on the Galilean hillside. That that we we see, and our story begins, to to understand the story of what we're going to look at, we need to see actually how the feeding of the 5,000 begins, because that's where this story begins, and then the feeding of the 5,000 is actually an interruption in what was supposed to take place. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 tells us this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So what I want you to see in this is what was Jesus' plan for that day? 
What, what had he set out to do? See, the verses say that, that what we just read said, when Jesus had heard this, now, or heard what happened. Now, what had happened before this that Jesus just hears about is the death of his cousin, who, who we talked about in the first part of this series, the death of John the Baptist. John was killed by, by King Herod, and, and that word comes to Jesus. And so if we look in verse 13, what was Jesus planning on doing that day? He was going to spend some time alone. His plan was to, to go out into a boat, out into to the, to the Sea of Galilee, and he was just going to spend some time by himself. Um, his, his cousin was dead, he had been killed, and Jesus just needed some time by himself. But crowds of people around heard that Jesus was doing something. And so they all came to see the, Jesus, he, he's out in a boat in the water. That, that's seemingly pretty insignificant, but it draws a crowd. Jesus just getting in a boat draws a crowd, and not just draws two or three people from the shore saying, Hey, Jesus, what you doing? But thousands and thousands and thousands of people show up to see Jesus in a boat. And it's the verses say that Jesus, when he sees this, when he sees these people flocking to him, it, it says that he has compassion on them. And it says that, that he begins to, to heal their sick. Jesus is in mourning for his cousin and, and he just wants to spend some time by himself. But the crowds of people show up and Jesus decides he, he needs to respond to them and to their needs. And so the verses say that Jesus spends the day healing their sick teaching them, ministering to them until it becomes evening. Jesus spends all day with them. His plan was to start out all by himself, but he continues to spend all day with this crowd of people until it becomes evening. And the crowd becomes restless. The crowd becomes hungry. That It's going to be lunchtime soon. And if I just keep talking... You'll have some grace for me. But if I'm still preaching and you're not getting a sense that it's the end and it's 1215, you're going to start to get concerned. And if I'm still talking and it's 1230 and I say to you, all right, now on to our next point, you're going to start to get a little frustrated. By 1245, some of you may have left. By one, I'm preaching to an empty room. Because as soon as one person gets up and leaves, it gives everybody else the confidence to do it too. But Jesus is there preaching, and these people, he, he, he's talking, and the people are starting to get restless. They're starting to get frustrated. They haven't eaten. And, and here's where this amazing miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 families with what amounts to a happy meal. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And we're not going to go deep into this or anything, but I just want to let you know, um, when you hear the term five loaves of bread and two fish, don't think of wonder bread. Like, don't think of a loaf of bread. That sometimes when we use a word, we have a context for it. And so, say five loaves of bread and two fish. But remember that the context of these five loaves of bread and two fish, they were a boy's lunch. Owen is going to pack his lunch tonight for school tomorrow. If he wanted to bring five loaves of Wonder Bread for his lunch tomorrow, I would say, no, you cannot eat all of that. And if you can, you shouldn't eat all of that. That, that when we understand the context of five loaves and two fish, it's a little boy's lunch. 
Not that it really makes that much of a difference that somehow if you thought of it as Wonder Bread, oh, well, then it's an easy miracle to feed 5,000 people with that. But just, just something to keep in mind. But it's in this moment, Jesus does what we watched in the video, and he feeds these 5,000 people, and, and he, he does this incredible miracle, this famous miracle that, that 2,000 years later, we, we still know and we, we, we recognize and we remember today. But it's right after Jesus does this that we see Jesus do something unexpected, something odd, something that doesn't seem to flow properly. After this miracle, Jesus sends everyone away. He says, immediately, so Jesus feeds the 5,000, immediately. Not sometime later that night. Not sometime, you know, hours and hours later after Jesus did a bunch of other stuff. Immediately, Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And he dismissed the crowd. We love you. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And we hope to see you again real soon. Go away. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he sends everybody away. That doesn't seem right. Why of all these moments would you perform this incredible feat, this amazing miracle, and then send everybody away? I mean, Jesus, if you went to Bible college, you would know that you should strike when the iron's hot. If you're going to have thousands, you're going to have thousands of people in the palm of your hand, ready to go, to listen to you, this was your moment. Wouldn't you take this moment to preach? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Share the gospel with them. You have them. You have their attention. Thousands of people just participated in a miracle. Jesus, now is the moment to, to preach to these poor people. But immediately, so right away, Jesus sends them all away. He sends everyone away. Even his disciples the crowds, everybody, everything, you can go home now. I mean, if the crowds of people needed anyone, that person is Jesus. As much as anyone or anything need you or I, how much more do these people need Jesus? He, he was their Messiah. He came to save them. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost, to seek and save these people. He, they had needs. They wanted Jesus. They sought Jesus. They were getting restless, but now their bellies are full. They're, they're ready for round. They're ready for the second service. Let, let's do this again. Let's go. Remember, they had come to Jesus. Jesus hadn't called all these people together. They had come to be with Jesus. And so who does Jesus need to be with? The crowds, right? That's what we would say is, Jesus, you need to be with these people. They're here to see you. You've done this amazing miracle. They are ready to receive whatever you have for them. But Jesus sends them away, dismisses the crowd, sends the disciples off in a boat. But it's in this moment that we're going to see something in the life of Jesus that, that we all need to see, that we all need to understand, we all need to internalize in our lives. 
a trend in the life of Jesus that we need to adopt in our own lives. Verse 23 says, After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. Jesus prioritized his time with his father over his time with the crowds. The crowd of people and all their desires, all their wants, all that went into these people and their relationship with Jesus. Everything that could be symbolized in this group of people needing Jesus. The crowd of responsibilities. All of the things that should have needed to be done in that moment. All of the, all of the responsibility that Jesus had in that moment. He prioritized his time with his father. The crowd of expectation. That the people there, they weren't done with Jesus. They were still there. The disciples, they were, what are you going to do next, Jesus? This is, this is, there's expectations on Jesus. All the things that others would look and say, Jesus, what are you going to do next? Jesus, this is what you should be doing. Even for us, as we talk about, we can look and go, this is what you should do, Jesus. Jesus dismisses the crowds of people the crowds of responsibility, the crowds of expectation. Jesus prioritized his time with his father over his time with the crowd. All the things that would attempt to crowd out his time with his father. This is the heart of what I want us to see this morning. This, this trend in Jesus' life that I wanted, want, want us to see. How, how, did Jesus, how did Jesus start his day? He had decided he was going to spend some time by himself with his father. He wanted to spend some time alone with his father. Now, now the crowds of life begin to press in. The crowds of people, the crowds of responsibility, the crowds of expectation, they begin to press in. And it doesn't say that Jesus resented them. It says that Jesus had compassion on them. But Jesus still knew in the midst of this day of the, the weight of all of these crowds on him, he still knew, I need to spend some time alone with my father. So he cares for them and he loves them, but he needs his time with his father. So once he's done, he sends them away. And this is something we see again and again in the life of Jesus and his ministry, this, this trend and this rhythm of time alone with his father. If we jump to Luke chapter 5, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of all of their sickness. The crowd was coming for Jesus. The crowds again were coming for Jesus. Verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place. And he prayed. Here is the rhythm of life of Jesus and the crowds and as the pressures grew larger and his time was becoming more precious and the crowds of people, responsibilities and expectations were looking to spread him thinner and thinner. What does Jesus do? He repeatedly often withdraw, withdraws to lonely places to pray. Mark chapter 1 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter, or back to Luke, Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Again and again, we see this rhythm 
in the life of Jesus, he's going to spend time with his father, whether it means he's got to be up all night, whether it means he's got to get up early, whether it means he's just got to push everything away and just the crowds are coming and Jesus is just going to retreat to a lonely place. He got away from the crowds, the crowds of people, the crowds of responsibilities, the crowds of expectation. We see that Jesus had all of these in life, but yet he made a point to get away from all of them to spend time with his father. So what about for us? Do we look at the crowds of life and see them as our driving force? Are the rhythms of our life dictated by the crowds? The crowds of people? The crowds of responsibility? The crowds of expectation? We see Jesus getting away from it, and yet we struggle with doing this. And so a question needs to be asked. But the question that doesn't need to be asked is not, why aren't we doing this better? That, that's not the right question. Because that's a question fraught with just adding more responsibility and expectation on the very presence of the question infers that this is a struggle for us. And so if we say, if I say, you're not spending enough time with Jesus because you're too busy, make time. That just heaps guilt on top of guilt. And so not the question we don't need to ask is, is why aren't we better at this? Isn't why aren't we doing this? The question we need to ask is, is how? How is Jesus doing this? See, Jesus knew that saying yes to something no matter how seemingly good, right, amazing, great that thing may be, also meant saying no to something at the same time. Whenever, you, whenever Jesus, whenever you say yes to anything, it means saying no to something. That, that whatever it is, the, the, whatever we say yes to, we've also said no to. To say yes to going out for dinner with your wife means no to staying home and watching TV. Now, maybe that's a good thing. But whenever we say yes to something, it's also saying no to something else. And Jesus said no to some really great things so that he could say yes to the best thing. Jesus said no to people's needs to people's wants, to people's expectations, to what seemingly his responsibilities were. Why? So that he could experience the things he needed most. Time with his father. Every time Jesus withdrew to a quiet place, he could have spent that time with people. Every time Jesus went away to pray, he could have been praying for people. But Jesus said, I'm going to take this time to be with my father. And I think about me and I think about us. How often do we feel compelled, obligated, necessitated to say yes to things because they look, they seem, they sound, maybe they are so great, 
things that I want, things that others need from me. But it comes at the expense of the best thing that I could have, intimacy with my Heavenly Father. How many of us are, are getting caught up in all the good things in life, but are missing out on the best thing because of it? So let's get back to the story. We, we've wandered away from the text a little bit. Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles all day. 5,000 families have seen what Jesus is capable of. And he sends all of the people away to go pray. Let's look at verse 23 again. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. This was not the easiest way to make this happen. Jesus could have, he sent everyone away. He could have just sat down where he was. He sent everyone away. So Jesus is now there by himself. He could have just sat down in the field and spent some time alone with his father. But instead, we, we read and we sometimes can lose the fact that Jesus climbed up a mountain to pray. Now, most scholars seem to think that it was probably what is known as Mount Arbel was probably the, the mountain that Jesus climbed at this point in, in his story. And let's stop and think about that for a second. It's very rocky terrain to climb up. Jesus wasn't in hiking boots or athletic shoes. He was probably in leather sandals. If, if the scholars are right, and it was Mount Arbel that Jesus climbed, it would have been about a five-kilometer hike. Actually, if you search, if you search, if you have like a hiking app or you search Mount Arbel hike, what you come up with is what's called the Jesus Trail. They believe that this was the route that Jesus would have taken to get to the top of Mount Arbel. If we assume for a second that somehow that this is true. Now, the scholars have more than just a guess, but if we assume for a second that this is true, it's about a five-kilometer hike, about 350 meters of elevation gained in leather sandals. It would have been taxing. It would have been exhausting for his body and his mind. He had spent all day teaching and preaching. He was probably ready for a nap. By the time I'm done today, I'll be ready for a nap. And you got me for 35 minutes. Jesus had preached all day. He had healed the sick. He'd performed miracles. He had the demands of 5,000 families on him. And he decides to go for a five-kilometer hike in the dark. Remember, this all took place at the end of the day. And Jesus didn't have a headlamp. There were no lights on the path. It's really hard to put fully into context how hard of a journey this would have been for Jesus. And all this, just to get some time alone with his father. So again, let's, let's not ask, why are you and I not doing this? Let's not ask that. But instead, let's ask, let's ask why? Why is Jesus, that's right, that's right, there you go. Why is Jesus doing this? And I think we can see from the life of Jesus, from this story, and from the rhythm of the life of Jesus that we saw, it's just how much Jesus was willing to sacrifice everything in just about every way to be with his Father. He knew that it was his Father who was going to refuel him, to strengthen him, to give him everything he needed to complete his mission. 
And we see Jesus is willing to climb a mountain. Jesus was going to make time for his father, even if he didn't have any. Jesus was going to make time for his father, even if it meant he had to climb a mountain to do it. Jesus was going to make time for his father, no matter what it took for him to get there. Jesus sent away the crowds of people, the crowds of responsibility, the crowds of expectation to spend time with his father. And so then that, that causes us to look at ourselves and, and ask, what lengths are, are we willing to go to be with our Heavenly Father? See, it's hard sometimes to be able to make the sacrifice that we need to spend that time. Because it can be so hard to look at the crowds of our lives and find the ability and the courage to send them away so that we can spend time with our Heavenly Father. To draw on him as, as our, our living water. To draw on him as the bread of life. Maybe your schedule is packed and it's really busy. Because people need you. Your company, your boss, your clients. They rely on you. Your kids and your home. They need you. All of that can be true. Those are not bad things. It's not bad to be a good employee. It's not bad to be a good husband, a good mother, to be a good father, to be a good wife. It's not bad to do those things. Maybe, maybe it's because your life is, is just chaos right now as it is. And it's not that I can't find time in my busy schedule. It's that I don't even know what day it is. I don't know if the next meal I need to make is breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I don't know whether I'm coming. I, don't, I, I guess it's Sunday because I'm at church, but I don't know what else I got going on. Maybe you barely get enough rest as it is. That, that you look at your life and you say, what am I supposed, I got to do, an I cannot do anything else. I don't sleep, I don't rest, I just go from one thing to another thing to another thing. How am I supposed to do this? The crowds have crowded in on you. And there's no space, no room, no air to get away and climb a mountain to be with God. But Jesus shows us in this story that it's okay to send the crowds away for a time. To send away the needs, the expectations, the responsibilities of life for a time. See, Jesus didn't send them away forever. He didn't say, that's it, I'm done. You got everything you're going to need from me. From now on, you're on your own. But for a season, for a time, for a moment, he sends away the crowds to go climb a mountain and to be with God. To connect with and rely on the one who he needed most and who we need the most. So after Jesus takes this hard journey to get to the top of Mount Arbel, he would have had this incredible view. From the top of the mountain, he would have been able to see the Sea of Galilee, on which in just a few hours, he was going to be walking. He would be able to see Capernaum. He'd be able to see Bethsaida. He would be able to see Corazon, the cities and towns he would be traveling to, the people he would be ministering to. And it would serve as such a reminder of his mission and why he was here. Refueling him to get back to the crowds. 
to go back to the crowds of life who needed him, refueling him to see the crowds the way that he does in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, where it says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he was refueled to be that shepherd that had come. That he, he was refueled to be the help for the helpless. He was refueled to be the hope for the hopeless. That he comes up and spends time with his father so that he can go back to the crowds and go back to the people to discover that he is still the one for them. Now, if we stop for a second, as we're coming to a close here, I told you I wasn't going to get into point three there. We're coming to a close. But we just stop and think for a moment just what we've talked about here. If anyone seemingly shouldn't need this time, if anyone shouldn't need to pray, if anyone should be good, it's Jesus. Fully God, fully human. Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear my father saying. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said, I and the father are one. If anyone shouldn't need to withdraw to spend time with God, he should just be able to say, this is what you need. Yet, no one is more characterized in all of Scripture with this kind of prayer, with this kind of priority, with this kind of commitment and drive to spend time with his Father. No one else in Scripture, their life is marked this way. The closest one you could find is maybe David. You know, the man after God's own heart. Jesus' life is marked by prayer, by time alone with his father, more than anyone else. And what a reminder that is for us. When we look at Jesus and his journey here to the top of a mountain, as he pushed away the crowds to be alone with his father, how much more do we need this than he does? So to close out, I would ask you, what about you? What about our church? What about me? Are we marked by prayer? Are we a people dependent on our Father? This story is a reminder. This mountain is a challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for our church. And it's a challenge for you. That we need to not put the focus on the crowds. That we might say no to great things. So that we can climb a mountain and experience the best thing. Intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in you, we have a Savior who is well acquainted with busyness. 
I thank you that, that in you we have a, have, a, have a Savior who is well acquainted with, with the hurriedness of life. We have a Savior who is well acquainted with the expectations of other people. We have a Savior who, who is well acquainted with other people being dependent on them. We have a Savior that, that is well acquainted with people saying, well, you should. We have a Savior who's well acquainted with dealing with the expectation of the world around them. And I thank you that in you we have a Savior who is willing to push away the crowds. That was willing to push away people. That was willing to push away the expectation, the responsibility, the people that, that could weigh so heavily and model for us what it meant to prioritize time with our Father. And so, God, I pray for all of us gathered here today. God, for each one of us who's living inside of varying degrees of busyness, and for each one here who probably would not say, I got nothing to do. But for each one of us who, who lives in a perpetual state of looking at what comes next, God, I pray that you would help us in some way, in one way, to manage to figure out how to dismiss the crowds. To have the courage to dismiss the crowds of life. To have the courage to, to meet the needs around us until we need to dismiss. And God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to dismiss the crowds around us. And God, I pray for each one who feels like they just can't do that today. For each one who looks at their life and says, there is just no room to dismiss the crowd. There is, these crowds are here to stay. God, I pray that in this moment you would help them to be able to, to see a way through. That you would give them spiritual eyes to see, wisdom to be able to see, knowledge to be able to see, not the way things are, but the way that things could be through your eyes. And God, my prayer for each one gathered here today is that we would not become reliant on our own way to see our lives, but that we would be able to be reminded to be challenged to go climb a mountain to spend time with our Father. And God, I just pray that you would help us to be able to be energized, to be refueled, to be renewed as we spend time with you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I was young, you called my name. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
You told me I could start again All I heard is dead and gone Now we're your daughters and your sons Amazing grace, how sweet the sound We once were lost but now we're found Forever you hold us in your arms Cause that's just the kind of God you are stepped into the dark cause that's just the kind of God you are